Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you, with you here on this beautiful uh, Sunday morning. So if you have your Bible or your device with you, if you would go ahead and head to Acts chapter 16, that's where we'll be here in just a few minutes. So if you can start, you want to you know, kind of get ahead and turn there to Acts chapter 16. We'll be there in just, just a little bit. A while ago, I had a, I had a friend in Bible college who uh, preached at a little church on Sundays. And this is something that you know, a lot of us in Bible college, we would do is there'd be these, you know, churches kind of out and about out in the country, and they may have anywhere from, from five people to maybe 40 or 50 people, and they couldn't afford a full-time pastor, so they would hire Bible college students to come on the weekends and, and fill in and kind of, and preach. So a lot of us did that, and one of my friends, he would go out to this one particular church every Sunday and, and preach there. And one particular Sunday morning, he, you know, was in church, they just finished Sunday school, getting ready for the worship service, and he realized he forgot his Bible out in the car, which is important to have when you're going to preach. So he, you know, real quick, ran outside just a few minutes before service started to retrieve it. And on his way back into the building, the weirdest thing happened. He went to grab onto the door handle and pull on the door, and it didn't open. He thought, well, that's, that's kind of weird. So he tried it again. Didn't work. Tried the other side. Well, that didn't work either. So at that point, he, he realized the door is locked. That's kind of strange, and I'm supposed to preach in a minute. I'm stuck outside. So he started, you know, banging on the door, knocking on the door, and pretty soon, you know, somebody came, and a gentleman let him back inside, and he asked the obvious question. So why is the door locked, Brother Bob? What's, go what's going on there? And he said, almost as if this was the obvious answer, well, we don't want anyone coming in, right? And that just, one, shocked him, but two, just broke his heart. And it's probably why that little church didn't get a whole lot bigger. I mean, just imagine that for a minute. You know, maybe somebody, they, they wake up, they roll to bed, and they decide for some reason that morning, you know, I'm going to try church. I'm going to give it a chance. Maybe they haven't been to church in a really long time, or maybe their life is just is crazy. They're at rock bottom, and they just think, well, people go to church, I guess, so maybe I'll try it. And they get up, and they actually get ready on time, and they nervously look through their closet to figure out, what, what am I supposed to wear? Is this, is this too dressy? Is this too, am I going to be overdressed, underdressed? What do people wear to church these days? I don't know. You know. And they finally figure out something to wear, and they drive down the street to that church in their small town. They've passed by who knows how many times, but this time they actually pull in and, and find a spot in the parking lot, and they work up the courage to go up to the door only to find it's locked. They probably turn around, they go home, and my guess is they're probably never going to come back again. They're right there. They were so close. You see, doors send a message. They do. Whether it's a locked door or an open door, they always communicate something to us. If you were to approach a door and there's this beautiful wreath for springtime on it or a Christmas wreath, that would tell you, oh, that's what, that's what time of year it is. If you were to walk up to a door and had a welcome sign, you would probably feel a little more invited. If the, person, if the name of the family was on the door, you would know, okay, I've got the right house, unless, you know, there's too many, there's a lot of other families with this same last name, but I think I'm good, right? That always, always helps. And probably, my guess is, in your house, or maybe growing up in your house, there was a room that was off limits. Maybe the door was kept locked, or you just knew you don't go in there. Maybe it's there's an office room where dad's got some sports memorabilia and it's like, you don't go in there because like the baseball from Sandlot, you, you don't want to touch anything. Something might get lost. Something might get broken. So stay out, right? Or, or if, you, you know, if you've got siblings, what's the rule? You do not go into your, your sibling's bedroom 
ever. And parents, how many times has a fight started because somebody went to somebody else's room and they took a toy or they took some clothes and they messed up something and, uh, and all-out warfare begins, you know? Doors always send messages. And we love to use the expression of open doors and closed doors to talk about opportunities. So, you know, an open door, we typically say, well, that's, that's a good thing. You know, it's a, it's a chance for something new, a chance to move somewhere, get a new job, get a promotion, start a new relationship, whatever it is. And a closed door, that's, we usually take that as maybe that's a bad thing. It's, you know, the job you applied for gets filled by somebody else. Or the girl you've been talking to doesn't text you back, and you start to wonder, where did I go wrong? Did I come on too strong? What did I do? I don't know. Am I weird? I, who knows? But whatever it is, open doors and closed doors, they send us messages. And sometimes we get the wrong message from a door, right? Sometimes we think we're really great because the door was, was open for us. And sometimes we think a closed door makes us question, where did we go wrong? Am I not good enough? Does God not love me? Does he not care? Why isn't this opportunity there for me? And so doors send messages. And that's really hard for us because we like to be in control. We like to know where we're going. We want to have it all figured out. We would probably much rather be the person with all the keys to open all the doors we want and lock the ones we don't want, right? Parents, you might want to be like, hey, if I could have the keys to my kid's life, I would go and lock all the doors of every bad decision. You know, like, you're not going to that college. Lock that up. You're not dating that person. Lock that door. Move out of Campbellsville someday? No way. Locking all of those doors. You're going to stay close to family. Like, you, you would want to figure all that out, right? And if you're at work, you know, you, maybe you've had this situation at work where there's a door you need to get through, and you've got to go find the janitor or the security person who has all the keys to the doors, right? And it's like, I just need to get in the paper supply closet. Are people stealing paper from the supply closet? Why can't I have a key to that? Why don't we leave it open? What's the deal? And it just slows your day down. It throws things off. And it's almost like those people who have all the keys, right, they like keep it on a, a belt loop, and it's like they're just tempting you and taunting you. They walk down the hall, and you hear the jingling of all those keys, and you think, why can't I have some keys? And then you wonder, we don't have that many doors here. Where do all those keys go to anyway? What? Are you just buying extra keys to make it look like you're really important? I don't know. But what you learn is you've got to trust the person who has all the keys, right? There's a reason whoever that person is has all those keys, whether it's because it's part of their job or the company or whoever trusts them to open the doors and decide what gets unlocked, what stays locked, what needs to be secure, what needs to stay safe behind a guarded door, you've, you learn you've got to trust the person who's got all of the keys. That's just what you have to do. So all of us, we have doors in our lives, we have opportunities, they've opened, they've closed, all that's happened, but how you handle the doors, now that tells you what you think about the gospel. That will display the gospel right there, the way you handle a closed or an open door. So listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, in verses 5 and 8. Let me read this to you. He writes, After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while, or even spend the winter, so that you can help me on my journey. Wherever I go, for I do not want to see you now, and only make a passing visit. I have to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits." But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, and listen to this, because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. So Paul talks about this, this opportunity, and he's probably specifically talking about some events in Acts chapter 19. That's probably the door he's talking about. But we're not going to go to Acts chapter 19, we're going to go to Acts chapter 16. 
And the reason for that is because there's a particular door in Acts 16 that actually opens up like a whole bunch of doors that gets us to Acts 19 and 20 and beyond. And so Acts chapter 16 is early in Paul's second of three missionary trips that he takes. And there's a very important step that happens in that chapter that I, wanna, I just want to take a brief look at. So in Acts chapter 16, starting with verse 6, here's what we read. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Paul and his friends are on this missionary journey. They're doing some traveling, and I brought a map with me uh, this morning to kind of help you see a little bit. There's all these random places. It's like, where is this going on? So this little map just shows you that route that he describes in those few verses of all the places they're trying to get to, and they don't quite quite make it where they're planning. So when we hear Asia, we think like, oh, the continent of Asia? No, Asia's that like this little bitty like territory there on the far edge of the map. And so this is a little region. If you take the top of Africa and go straight north, that's kind of where, where we are. And that's where uh, Paul is. So he's going around, he's checking things out, he's trying to figure out you know, where to go. And we get this detail included in there that the Holy Spirit stops them from going to some of these places. Which begs the question, how did they know the Holy Spirit was stopping them? Good question. I don't know. I don't have an answer. And for some of you, that may frustrate you because you would love to know, well, how did Paul know? What happened, right? Did, was it like, you know, there was bad weather and they couldn't get through? You know, did they hear like an audible voice from heaven tell them, hey, don't go any further, stop, don't go there? Did they have a dream? Like what what happened? Maybe, you know, maybe they bought tickets for a camel caravan to help them travel, and then there was bad weather, so they delayed the camel trip, and then a camel got sick, so they delayed it some more, and then they delayed it another time, and then they finally just canceled it, and all Paul got was a lousy meal voucher that had expired three months ago, and he just thought, this isn't even worth it, guys. Come on. Maybe that, I don't know. Who knows what happens, right? But for some reason, they know they're not supposed to go there. And some of you would love to know that because you want the steps and the details and how do I know when the Holy Spirit tells me to do or not to do something. But I actually think there's, there's a bit of beauty in the mystery that we just don't know because it relies not on here's, here's five steps to, to help tell you how to follow the Holy Spirit. Instead, you've got to rely on your relationship with Jesus. There's just no substitute for that. There's great wisdom, right? You can read scripture, you can pray, you can seek godly counsel with other Christians, but there's no substitute for your relationship with Jesus helping you figure out what you're supposed to do. Because there's probably a lot of prayer. There's probably a lot of deliberation. And in those moments where you have to figure out what's next is when you deepen your relationship with the Lord. You sit, you talk with him, you listen, you process, just like you would with a close friend or like you might you know, talk with, with your mom or your dad at some point and be like, hey, is, do you think this is a good idea? And you've got to get some feedback and get some advice and think about it. So there's no quick and easy answers. We've just got to learn to lean on whatever it is that God has for us in those moments. So the first door that we've got to think about here is a closed door. 
because Paul has a closed door, a closed door, a closed door, which eventually gets him where he needs to go, but things are always closed at first. And he's trying to figure that out. But pay attention to, to what he does with those closed doors, right? Is he keeps, he keeps going, he keeps trying, he doesn't freak out too much, he kind of just keeps, keeps trying things out. So let me tell you about, um, well, the dumbest idea I think I've ever had in ministry, maybe. I wasn't completely at fault. I had other people help me with this. So it's maybe the shared greatest dumb idea I've ever had in ministry. I don't know. But at the time, I was helping out with a college-age ministry, and we always did something at the end of every semester that was like a big, fun way to kind of wrap things up. You know, it's finals week, so everybody's like cramming and studying and packing up their dorm room and getting ready to go home for vacation. So it's like, all right, what can we do on Sunday night that's just really fun and relaxing? So we were, you know joking around, trying to come up with an idea, and we came up with this idea for this large-scale game. Ready for this? We called it Corruption County. Now I can tell, you're all excited to play Corruption County. You're like, when can we do this here at Campbellsville? That sounds awesome. Well, bear with me, I'll explain it to you. So uh, I'm from Dodge City, Kansas, so we created a Wild West theme, giant, real-life game inside of the church. So we used the gym, and we called it Dodge City, because that's where I'm from, and it's Wild West. It makes sense, kind of. So Dodge City was like the gym, and in the gym, we had little, you know, board games and card games, and you could get snacks and hang out with your friends, and if you're just more of an introvert or more of a chill person, you can play some Uno, you can play some Solitaire, you can play whatever, eat some snacks, and just chill all night. That's all you had to do. Easy. But in the halls around the gym, that now, that's where the real Corruption County game happened. So there's a guy in town who we were able to rent hundreds of Nerf guns from and thousands of Nerf, Nerf darts. And I don't know how many like little fake pieces of like plastic money coins we bought and Monopoly money. We got a bunch. We got a ton of it. We got little like plastic bags you could keep your money in. And all around the church, we had all these like carnival games, like, you know, ring toss and whatever that you could go play. And if you played those games, you got fake money as a prize, and basically at the end of the day, whoever has the most fake money wins. What did they win? Nothing. It's college. It's just fun. It, you know, it's whatever. However, it's called Corruption County, so it's not just that straightforward. So you can take your money, you can go back to Dodge City, you can save it in the bank, or you can use it to buy more Nerf guns, more darts, and you can team up with other people, just like in the Wild West, and you can form a gang. You can form a posse. You can go rob people. You can, we had some students who were sh shepherd, or uh, not shepherds, deputies and sheriffs, and we, you know, they could like arrest you, and you could pay them off. So they would turn a blind eye while you rob somebody with your Nerf gun, <laughs> right? That, that's just how it happened. Now it's, now it's important for you to know a couple of details. One, uh, the building of this church also had like a Christian school in it. So there's like tons of lockers and classrooms and stuff. Number two, the rest of the story, I wasn't there for. I helped design the game, come up with the game, and then I was gone that weekend, very conveniently. So the rest of the story is based off eyewitness accounts and a few posts on social media that maybe have been deleted since then. So at some point during the night, two massive rival gangs had formed of college students. And they're, you know, going on this bank robbery spree. Well, anyway, one group had made off with this giant heist of money, and they ran into a classroom and locked themselves in it. Now, the reality is this group now has enough money that if they just wait, they will win the game. The other gang doesn't like that. They want to win, like many of us do. So they surround the classroom door. They're, you know, 
hitting it. They're screaming at them. They're trying to hold them out. They're trying to make empty veiled threats and promises. And of course, it's not working because the group inside knows we just have to wait here till the end of the night, whenever that is. And we're fine. We're good. We win. So college students, things, things get crazy in college. So imagine this, you know, big, typical wooden classroom door. And right next to it is a little, you know, window glass, glass pane. I can tell some of you are ahead of me here. So they tried picking the lock, that didn't work. Waiting out didn't work, threats didn't work. So one college student looked at the glass, looked at the door, looked back at the glass, and punched through the glass window. That's when the game went from good to great, everybody. Everyone freaked out, didn't know what to do. So then he reached around and unlocked the door. So everyone's like, ah, oh, there's glass everywhere, and you should go to the ER, man which he did. So he was probably rushed to the ER to get his arm looked at because he just punched through glass. And that's not great. And then we had to clean up the glass. We, I wasn't there, luckily, I guess. And then our college-age pastor, you know, had to go into the office on Monday and explain to his, his you know, boss how we broke church property and school property playing a game Sunday night with a bunch of college kids. And why wasn't anyone supervising? And why, why didn't we make better? And what, well, were you playing Corruption County? Who thought that was a good idea? I did. I'm sorry, you know? So that's what happened. But here's, here's the deal. Closed doors and locked doors make us do really crazy things, like punch through glass or something kind of like that. And what Paul does is when he has all these closed doors and these locked doors, what he doesn't do is do something really crazy or freak out, right? Luke does not write for us, you know, he doesn't say that, well, Paul couldn't figure out where to go, so he did absolutely nothing. That's not what he says. He doesn't say, well, Paul went back home and gave up because it didn't work. He doesn't say, well, Paul sat on the couch and he binge-watched Netflix for, for a week and just thought maybe one day God will make it clear enough, but until then I'm just going to watch TV. He doesn't do that at all. Instead, he just continues to try, try one door after another door after another. Because when you find closed doors... You just keep going until you find the door that's open, right? There's this popular phrase I've heard a lot, go until you get a no. You just keep trying things, you just keep going, because sometimes our first inclination when we, we feel like we're called to something or we want to try something and it doesn't work out is we give up instead of, well, let me just try it again, or let's try it in a different way, or let's try it somewhere else, you know? So whenever doors are closed, you just keep trying until you find the open one. Which gets us to then, Paul has a vision, and now going on in verse 11 in Acts chapter 16, here's what takes place. So Luke writes, From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from Thyatira, from the city of Thyatira, named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So here's, here's kind of the gist of how this, this story kind of goes, right? So Paul, his typical strategy everywhere he goes 
is he goes to a synagogue first because he's going to preach first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles or the non-Jews. And he does that because he wants to honor the promise that God made to Abraham. So he's going to preach to the Jews first and give them a chance to repent. But in Philippi, there's a problem. There's no synagogue. Because in Jewish culture, you had to have at least 10 Jewish men to form a synagogue. When you didn't have that, what you had to do is go somewhere that was considered a, ritual, a ritually clean place. A river would count. So Paul and Luke and everybody, they head down to the river on Saturday for worship, and they basically, they find a women's Bible study going on. And they start to talk and ask them questions, and Paul begins to teach about Jesus. And during that time, Lydia realizes that what Paul is saying has to be true. But here's what's so strange about this story. Because if you remember just a few verses ago, in Paul's vision, he saw a man in Macedonia tell them to come help. And when he gets to Macedonia, he's been there for a couple days, and he doesn't meet a man. He meets a group of women, specifically Lydia. So you might wonder, well, did God pull a fast one on Paul? Yes. Yes, he did. Because God has a great sense of humor and sometimes has to teach us those things. So, and he also has, there's a lesson. There's always a lesson when our expectations don't quite go the way we think. And God wants to teach Paul that you need to trust me not just with the door, but what's on the other side of the door. You need to trust me with the expectation as well. Because open doors lead to unexpected gospel opportunities. So let me kind of get, get you the context of this passage. If we all grew up in the first century and we were reading this story, we would, between you know, the vision of the Macedonian man and meeting Lydia, we would probably gasp. We'd be like, wait a minute, this can't be right. Because back in the first century, in the time the Bible was written, women were at the bottom, very close to the bottom of the social ladder. The, you know, sorry, ladies, you didn't have a lot of authority, a lot of responsibility or power that was starting to change a little bit, but not a lot. And if we were first century readers, we would think, well, of course, Paul should meet a man. He would have power and influence and money, and he could help start a church and get people rallied around it and get things done. That's exactly the, you know, if you're going to go to a whole new area of the world where the church has never been, you're going to have to have a man do it. And then we meet Lydia, and you might be thinking, well, shoot, this ain't going to work. This isn't going to go very far. But I think Paul has a little twinkle in his eye, and he thinks, oh, just watch. Paul, you have got to meet my servant Lydia. You've got to see this. It's going to be great because God knows what he's got to do. He's like, trust me with the door and what's on the other side of it, Paul, because this is going to lead to an unexpected gospel opportunity. Because, you know, Lydia, the text says that God opened her heart. That doesn't just mean she had like a warm, fuzzy feeling. It means that he, like in her mind, connected the dots. So it all made sense. She's a God-fearer in some Bible translations or a worshiper of God, which means she's not a Jew She's ethnically Roman or Greek or something like that. And on some level, she believes in the God of Israel. And that could mean any number of a range of things. It could mean she still kind of believes in all the Roman gods, but she believes Yahweh is like the superior God. Or it could just mean that she's put away all those idols and she only believes in the God of Israel. But she's hearing Paul teach and realizes Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and decides to get baptized and baptizes her whole entire household, which could, will include her family and her servants and all the people who work for her. So ladies, don't think you can't have spiritual influence because you really can. And God says, just wait, just see what Lydia can do. Now we don't know this for sure, but if I was a betting person, I would bet that Lydia is one of the founding members of the church in Philippi. 
You know, the church in the letter of Philippians, it's characterized as a church that is joyful and generous and hospitable. Sounds a lot like Lydia to me. Like maybe, just maybe, Lydia's own character became part of the DNA of that early church there in Philippi. And they became like her, generous and hospitable and joyful as a church. And so all these closed doors, they lead Paul to the open one. Come over here. Now, why, why did God not want Paul to go to the other places? I'm not sure. But he had a plan. He saw Lydia. He saw those woman, women who met faithfully at the river week after week and said, I'm going to do something here. I'm going to put a church here. And that's what he sets out to do. You know, so part of my story in life, probably like a lot of yours, is learning how to navigate doors and opportunities. You know, and for me, my experience has just been they always seem to just make sense, you know? I remember back when I was called into ministry in high school, and I learned about this, these things called Bible colleges. I didn't know they existed. I didn't know there were, there were just schools out there where you could, like, get a degree in Bible and ministry. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool. I didn't know about that. And so for me, it just, I went to a school called Ozark Christian College. It just kind of made sense. I don't ever remember, like, I did not go visit a whole bunch of schools. I didn't, like, I don't, I remember, I never remember, like, Resting like, oh man, am I going to go to this school or that school? I don't know. Where, where am I going to go? Am I going to make a mistake? No. It was like, I'm just going to go to Ozark. God opened the door. I'm going to walk through it. It makes sense. Perfect. So I, I you know, never looked back, never regretted it, never thought, maybe I should go somewhere else. I loved Ozark. After college, I you know, graduated and I worked there part-time and I preached at a church about 35 uh, folks in a town called Neosho, Missouri, and was, was doing that for a little while. I finished up a master's degree and, you know, had this kind of this weird season that potentially in future sermons you'll hear a little more about where, you know, I finished grad school, which was awesome. And then the girl that I'd been dating for a long time and thought I was going to marry broke up with me. So it's like, yay. Oh, what is happening? So I was like, well, what's next? I don't, I don't know. And during that season, you know, I was like, I literally went to, I don't know what to do next. I don't really know if I want to stay here much longer. And it felt like God was just starting to close some doors and say, let, let me get you ready for something else. And during that season, I had to talk with him a lot, pray with him a lot. He was really kind to me and opened like five doors at once and said, these are all good. Pick one. You'll be, I'll take care of you wherever you go. And so I just had to talk to him and he taught me more about himself and about me. And I decided the one that made the most sense is, well, I guess I'm going to go to Southeast Christian Church and study a little more, learn more about preaching and ministry for a couple of years. And I didn't know everything that was on the other side of that door. I didn't know the challenge, like God never said, hey, COVID's coming, get ready. I didn't know that was a thing. He didn't tell me that Jenna was on the other side of that door or the friends I would meet or the challenges in ministry I'd have. I was like, okay, here's the door. I'm going through it. And of course, you know, now residency's ending. That means, hey, it's time to find a ministry job. That's why you came. You came to get sent out. And, you know, my boss said, hey, there's this church in Campbellsville looking for a preacher, and it just made sense. So here I am, right? And you get to decide the rest. And so just, just like for all of you, you may have different experiences of how God opens and closes doors. But here's the deal. We love to be in control. We want to be the one holding all the keys and decide what doors open and what doors close. But you've got to trust the one with all the keys. You really do. I don't think it's any mistake that Jesus said, I'm the door. The only way is to come through me. I don't think it's any mistake that in the Bible, Jesus says, I'm the one who holds the keys. You trust him to open the key to the door of life and death. Do you trust him with that? Because really, we need to trust the one who holds all the keys and knows the best way for us to go. So I just want to give you a couple questions just that you can be thinking about this week to yourself. 
The first is, what doors is God opening in your life? Or maybe the reverse of that, what doors is he closing and you're trying to punch through a pane of glass to get it open? Don't waste your time with that. What doors is he opening? What doors is he, clo- is he closing? But also, what doors might he be opening here at this church? Because I know this past 14 months has been rough. It's been rough for so many people for so many different reasons. But I also think God has used it to show people that there's a whole bunch of doors they're not willing to try that they need to try. I think COVID has been this great refining season, and I don't know what's coming, what's coming next, but I trust God knows what doors to open and what doors to close. So just like how Paul led, or like how God led Paul to Lydia, who's he leading you to next? Who's that person or that place, that opportunity where someone needs to hear the gospel about Jesus? Who needs to hear that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the one who's the door, the one who holds all the keys, the one you can trust your entire life with? Because open doors lead to unexpected gospel opportunities. Let's pray. Jesus, I am so thankful that you're a God who opens and closes the doors for us. You know what's best. You know what's going to be a blessing to us. You know what's going to hurt us. Uh, You know what opportunities to lead us down. And so, Father, I just ask that you would open the right doors for each and every one of us and that you would close the ones that aren't good for us. And I just pray for this church in this season, you would make it abundantly clear through your Holy Spirit what is next. Where should we go? Who do you want to reach out to? Who are those people that you see like Lydia and you say, I want them to become part of my family. So God, help us to always be obedient and listening to your voice. It's in your name I pray. Amen.